This is a HeadGum Podcast. Flatiron School is an outcomes-focused coding boot camp offering the best in online web development education. Lean on instructors for professional support, move at your own pace through their proven curriculum alongside a thriving community of students, finding purpose through programming. You can learn to code online, but not alone. And Flatiron offers a job guarantee and comprehensive career coaching. Over 98% of grads accept job offers within 180 days of graduating. Flatiron School is focused on increasing access to coding education for women. They're pleased to announce offers to Black Girl Nerds listeners, free access to their online boot camp prep course, plus $500 off your first month's tuition towards their online web developer program. So visit flatironschoolnerds.com to start your free course. That's flatironschoolnerds.com. Learn. Love. Code. Confabulation is a new convention from the people who brought you 10 great years of WinCon. We're by the fans and for the fans, so there's no celebrity guests or long autograph lines. Just fan-run content about the things you want to talk about. Join us in Pittsburgh, May 25th through 28th, for a weekend of friends and fandom. Get more info at confabcon.com or our Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook pages at confabcon. Hope to see you in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so this is Ty here, Jether, writer, director, and producer of How to Tell Your Douchebag. I am very happy to have taken part on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thanks. What's up, y'all? It's producer Will Packer, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Keep it locked right here. Hey, it's Debbie Kamau Bell, host of the CNN show United Shades of America, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Tommy Davidson. You're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. That's right. It exists. This is Simone Missick, and I am Misty Knight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Regé Jean Page. I play Chicken George in Roots, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hello, I'm Regina Hall, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Rain Roberts. I'm a creative executive at Lucasfilm, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Misha Green, co-creator of Underground on WGN America, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 106 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Logan's Soul Glow and Oscar Chat. Two segments. In our first segment, we invite the one, the only, actor Eric LaSalle. You may have caught him in his latest film this weekend called Logan. And he also talks to us about his work in the literary world as he's an author, as well as some of his history on the hit television primetime show ER. That segment is hosted by yours truly, Karan and KB. In our second segment, Jacqueline has a one-on-one chat with celebrity interviewer to the stars, Alicia Malone. The two talk about the Oscars, nominees, and predictions on winners. Keep in mind, this was recorded before the Oscars had actually aired, so there may be some information that is discussed that we already know actually happened. So that's our show, two fantastic segments with two amazing guests. And also we ask that you always make sure to share the love on social media and with your friends and families about the Black Girl Nerds podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Spotify. Thanks for tuning in to episode 106, Logan Soul Glow and Oscar Chat. Enjoy. Eric LaSalle is an actor, director, writer, producer, and author. He's known for his portrayals of Daryl in the 1988 comedy film Coming to America and best known as Dr. Peter Benton in the NBC drama series ER. Currently, you can find Eric LaSalle in the new film Logan, which just premiered this past weekend, where he co-stars as a farmer. And LaSalle has directed many episodes of various shows, which include Wingman and the Fox series Lucifer and TNT's Murder in the First, as well as BET's The Quad. Take a listen to our interview with actor Eric LaSalle. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Very excited to talk to you guys tonight with this guest. We have an actor who you know from many films, many TV shows. ER, if you were a fan of that show from back in the day, I was a huge stand for that show. Uh, Dr. Benton. And also he's been in films like Coming to America. And currently, you can catch him in the new film, Logan. We have Eric LaSalle on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. And we have our co-hosts, Karan and KB. Thank you, ladies, for coming on. Thank you. So, Eric, you're, you're starring in this new movie coming out soon called Logan, which is huge for us, starring Hugh Jackman. And in the film, you're an ally of Logan's, a.k.a. Wolverine. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship as well as your role in this movie? Um, you know, we, we, we meet... Um, sort of just by happenstance, um, uh, and he comes to uh, my aid and uh, my family. Uh, we're undergoing a bit of a crisis, and uh, and then we basically uh, take them in. They're on the run um, when, we, when we encounter them, 
And uh, so we take them in and uh, it's, you know, the, the, the role is part of just sort of the uh, humanizing aspects of the film because it's a very interesting take on the uh, superhero genre. Um, and I, I, it feels much more like um, a man who is on a journey and uh, it happens to be sort of the sunset of his journey. Um, but it's it's a guy who happens to be a superhero as opposed to, you know, the I think the, the typical way um, that these these films are handled. Uh, and so there's, a, there's, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of emotion in it, actually, um, you know, surprisingly. And, uh, you know, great, you know, of course, the action is great, but, um, but it's not, you know, it's really not this over-the-top superhero film um, so much to me as it is um, a guy on his journey who, like I said, happens to uh, be a superhero and um, and ends up, you know, doing a whole lot of stuff. So, uh, so my, you know, my family, um, that storyline really offers, um, I think, some sort of internal searching and some questions that he has that um, sort of ultimately challenges him to uh, be more human. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty much the, uh, you know, what the role represents. You'll have to see the film to understand how that all plays out. <laughs> so, and it sounds like it's got a lot of dramatic overtones to, to the story. Yeah. Uh, and and you're no stranger to that because uh, many may not know this about you, but you're also an author and you have a three book series called The Laws of Innocence, Laws of Depravity and Laws of Wrath. So what led you to want to write books and this genre specifically? Uh, well, I, you know, for me, it's, it's all storytelling and mm -hmm. uh, just sort of variations of storytelling, whether it's acting, directing, producing, um, writing. Um, and now, you know, um, write, whether you're writing screenplays or writing novels, um, for me, it's, it's, it's all the same. Ultimately, it's just a variation and a different way of telling stories, which is my addiction. And I think my gift and my calling and, you know, something I'm very, um, fortunate and blessed, um, to have that as a talent. And, uh, so I, I you know, I always like exploring different ways of doing that same thing. Um, and so I, uh, you know, a few years ago, I think about four years ago, four or five years ago, um, I just, you know, had this crazy idea that I wanted to jump into the, uh, novel world and, uh, you know, it was definitely intimidating. And, uh, I think we come with all these, um, you know, preconceptions that, you know, who am I to write a novel? I'm not, you know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, uh, so, and, you know, you jump in and, um, you, you, you try to tell the best story that you can. And, um, I, I knew, um, I, I definitely lean towards the dramatic. I definitely lean more towards, um, um, edgy. Um, and so, uh, this genre, the thriller genre, um, afforded me that luxury to explore. Um, one of my favorite films is the movie uh, Seven. And, yes. Uh, yes. And so I wanted to create that world. I wanted to create um, a world like that, but inhabited with um, some, you know, some, some, some different types of characters and 
I wanted to, there's also a challenge for me um, in reading these books, because um, I'm a big fan and, and reading them, John Sanford, and, you know, it's definitely been one of the major influences, and I, I actually ended up doing um, his main character um, in a movie um, once I played his main character, so that sort of introduced me to the genre, and so what I decided I took, that I wanted to take a stab at it um, I wanted to do something in the vein of the movie Seven, where um, it is an engrossing story, but there's also this interesting story that's being told. Because if you remember in Seven, um, he was he was sort of preaching a sermon uh, with his with his yeah, kill. Yeah. So it wasn't just this gratuitous violence. It's very violent. It's 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 very dark and very edgy. But um, there are these these interesting themes, and so I I. Um, um, you know, wanted to pursue that. And uh, so I came up with Laws of Depravity, which uh, was based on the fact that all of Jesus's disciples were brutally murdered. And so I came up with a serial killer who was uh, killing um, clergymen in the same fashion that Jesus's disciples were murdered. Mm, wow. uh, and so, but doing it for a very specific reason. And so, um, so he, you know, he comes out every... 10 years and he kills uh, 12 clergy, which is, you know, symbolic of the uh, 12 disciples, even though there were technically more. Uh, so, you know, so I just wanted to do something really different and dark. And so I got into this world, created um, some cool characters, one uh, being um, African-American, one being Italian, Irish-American. They're the two partners. So you have that Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, but, you know, a lot younger, um, sexier kind of version of that. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and took it from there and then that turned into the next one and the next, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the next one right now. I'm about halfway through. So I want to do two more and then the goal is to turn it into a film or television franchise. So that's also uh, a big theme for me. Um, that's something that I've been preaching for probably the last 20 years or so, which is, you know, um, black empowerment and uh, yeah. and and a part of the reason that I started directing and producing and is just taking more control of my career and taking more control of our stories and the types of things that you're trying to get done and the types of people you're trying to see get them done and being you know as a director being in the room and being able to make the decision or or at least have a voice in the decision making process of, hey, why not try, um, why not make the judge a, wo a woman? Why not make this person Asian? Why not make them black? Why not just sometimes just, you know, sometimes it's not this overt racism or sexism. It's, it's, it's a, it's, uh, and there's plenty of that. Let's not, you know, <laughs> let's not get that twisted. But, uh, but sometimes it's not always that. It's just, it's a, it's, it's people going with what they're most comfortable with. And so when you have people that for years um, that are you know, making these decisions, um, used to seeing, you know, white males doing, you know, all of these things, sometimes they just, they don't think beyond that. And so sometimes mm -hmm. just to be able to remind them and say, hey, you know what, this would be really interesting. I know maybe you were thinking a white male for this role or even a white female, but how about this? And sometimes they're like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. So it's, you know, it's a part of the empowerment. Um, it's my empowerment tour. Let's just put it that uh, that way. It's my, you know, it's a self-empowerment thing of, 
of creating. And, and right now we are in such a uh, content driven um, phase uh, because this is the golden era of television. Television is, is, is amazing right now. And so as you have all of these different channels and outlets and so many opportunities, the one thing that will always be needed is content. Mm -hmm. So why not have us in positions of controlling that content and creating that content and, and, uh, and directing it and producing it. And, and so that's, you know, so that's something that's, 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 that, that I've been obsessed with, uh, for a while. And so, you know, at that point you just put your money where your mouth is and you say, let me overcome my, um, insecurity or my, um, intimidation of, you know, writing a book and, you know, let me get out there and let me see if I can. If, if I, if I can, um, then look at the position that could, you know, put me in. I look at, um, I love JK Rowling's, um, backstory, you know, welfare mom, um, who creates the biggest book franchise in history. And, uh, and, you know, not from a, monetary point of view, but just being able to create something that we own, uh, and, 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 and not just my, my thing, I'm just talking about collectively. Um, so, you know, so that's been a, that's been a major, been a major thing. Um, and that's just something that I've, I've always been, you know, interested in. And, and so I've done it. Um, I have, I have to take a moment because, um, I have never seen my father fan out before but he's probably more proud of me talking to you right now than he ever was at any point in my life. So <laughs> my dad says, hello. <laughs> hey, father. Hey, how are you? You are his favorite actor. And he reminded me that um, how hard you fought for, as a black man on ER, mm -hmm. to be seen loving a black woman or a woman of color on ER back then. Mm -hmm. um, so he still talks about that to this day. But my question to you is, as we talk about these different areas of your artistry and these different forms of content, how has expanding into those areas informed your work as an actor? Well, you know, it's cool because it is, they're, they're, they're all connected. Um, I find that, uh, for instance, when Logan came along, you know, I, I, I haven't really been acting in uh, quite a few years, so I'm, I'm, I'm rusty, uh, you know, um, you know self-admittedly. And um, and so all of a sudden here's this big franchise. It's, you know, you're in this big Marvel movie that's, you know, these things are huge. And so, you know, to be in it, um, you know, you draw from what you can. And so, um, you know, I mean, I love acting. I'll always be an actor. But, you know, my focus has been in the last few years much more on um, being a director and, uh, and I've, I, I stayed very busy um, and I'm very blessed to direct a lot of uh, different um, projects. And so being in the midst of that, even when this opportunity came along, I was in the midst of this director's run and I was, you know, and all of a sudden it's just like, okay, you gotta, you know, you gotta leave that directing gig and you gotta go to uh, New Orleans and start shooting this movie. And it was like, wow. Uh, so definitely a little rusty, but it, it, you know, the way that it affects me, first of all, um, it has made me a much more humble um, actor. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, being a director, um, 
you know, you understand, you have to be concerned with everything. As an actor, you're concerned with one thing, your role. As a director, you're concerned with everyone's role, everyone's wardrobe, everyone's makeup, everyone's hair, every, the lighting, uh, every, they're just a, a gazillion things. And so it's made me more humble as, uh, as, as an actor um, because you're not, as you know, as an actor, you might be hanging out in your trailer and they say, hey, we need you on set, we need you on set, and, you know, you take your time, <laughs> you know. Well, when you're a director, you know, when an actor does that, it drives you crazy. It's, it's like, you know, that five minutes, um, it adds up, you know what I mean? And before you know it, you've lost an hour, you know, by doing that a few times a day with various actors. And so it makes me more, it's, it's made me more responsible. It's made me more um, respectful um, and, and definitely more humble. Um, it, it helps with my storytelling. Um, fortunately, when we were doing, uh, when we were doing Logan, uh, James Mangold, the director, um, knew that I was or oh, am a director, and I don't know. He just he communicated with me. I felt a little differently, mm -hmm. um, and he and I think he had a certain. I think he regarded me a certain way, and it was very subtle. Um, so sometimes it was maybe shorthand. I think like sometimes he didn't feel he had to explain certain things as a director because I would look at him and nod like I get it I know why we're doing it this way I know you know what I mean like you don't it doesn't have I get it we don't you don't have to go into detail and so um, I was proud of that I mean that's one of those rare um, moments it's nothing you know super valuable but um, it just speaks to who I am and where I am as an artist. And when you see another artist or you work with someone and they relate to you in that way, um, you know, it makes you feel, you know, definitely makes you feel special. Um, so I, look, I think my acting influences my writing, my mm -hmm. writing, my writing influences my acting. Um, when I'm directing, I can talk to writers a certain way because I know the craft of writing. I know the language of writing. I definitely know the language of acting. So um, I have a reputation of being a, uh, an actor's director. Um, because I know how to speak to them. I know their temperaments. I know, I get it. I know when they're angry because they feel like they're not being heard because I, you know, that's how I feel, you know? So it, it, it you know, so they all, they all complement each other and, um, and, and, you know, and I love it. Uh, that was a, that was a, a great question, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now my next question is, it's go, it goes even deeper. Okay. Oh, come on, bring it. Did you ever really have a jerry curl? And if so, what was it like your first time? And if not, does your soul glow without one? Wow. You would. <laughs> your idea of going deeper. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry to, sorry to disappoint you, but that was a wig in the movie. And, uh, and uh, no, I, I, I don't, I've not had the pleasure or the, uh, Misfortune, um, <laughs> and, and my and my soul, my soul, my soul is is just fine without it. So, so thank you. Excellent answer. <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> um, let me see if I can potentially top that. It's KB here. <laughs> 
So um, I have been a huge fan of yours, obviously, in Coming to America, but more so um, with ER. So just tell me about what initially drew you to the role of Dr. Benton. And did you know the type of impact that taking that role would have on your career? Uh, well, starting backwards, uh, no, you never know. Uh, you, you, I, I have, I've done good projects um, that had hype on them, that were good scripts that went nowhere. Um, I, ironically, um, I had done a medical show two years before ER with Dick Wolf. And we, we came on Thursday nights at 10 uh, <laughs> on CBS. It was called The Human Factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, had a good, we, had a, we had a good cast. And it, you know, it, it aired, I think, maybe, I don't know, eight episodes. And, and, and it was gone. So you never, you never know. Um, a lot of times you think, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. And, uh, and, it's, and, it, and it's not. Um, you just really at that point, you just, you're just trying, you're trying to get a job, really. I mean, I, I, I think people, um, I don't want to over-romanticize any of this because I think a lot of times people have sort of these misconceptions about how this industry works. You know, the, the, the only thing you really have control over is, you know, what you will and won't do. Um, which is to say, you know, there are certain pieces that you just go, you know what, I find that a bit degrading, I find it a bit stupid. No, I'm not going to go there. That's really it. Other than that, it's real. until you get to a certain level uh, and you've achieved a certain level of success and then you're, you're sent all of these scripts and you're making all of these choices, but... You gotta realize, you know, twenty years ago, I was I was a, a journey, still a journeyman actor, and so, you know, getting a good script um, with a you know good role, um, that's that was it. You know, the thing that um, drew me to it was it was a job. It was a, it was <laughs> you know, it was a, you know. Now, on top of that, um, I, I will say this, um, you know. I was completely surprised when I read my best friend, uh, who is Michael Beach. Um, oh yes, oh yes, him. yes. <laughs> hey, Third Beach. watch. Oh yes, and you know we've been friends. We've been best friends for over thirty years, and he was the one. I was actually doing another gig in uh, Portland, uh, and he was the one that told me about it at first. He says, "Hey, man, you know." Everyone here in town is going in on this new show called ER. And at the time, he was actually the first choice. Um, hmm. And so to play Benton and uh, one of the studio heads said, hey, well, you know, let's let's hold out and let's see if, you know, I, I want to see some more, more people. So I got the script and he never told me the character's name. And so when I read the script, uh, Michael Crichton uh, and John Wells, I thought, did something very cool. They didn't specify. Uh, they didn't write up. They didn't say African American. Um, and so when I read the script, um, I just read it. I didn't know. And at that time, you got to realize, twenty years ago, you were not getting these juicy African American roles. You were getting. You were the best friend of the white guy. Um, who would say a monologue, and then you would say two lines, and then he would say another monologue, and you, you know, and you would, everything was about about them, and so here was this character um, 
that I didn't know what I was reading. I didn't know that I was, I didn't know that Dr. Benton was black. So after I finished reading it, I called up Mike and I said, hey, you never, you never did tell me who um, the character was. I was looking for something much, and, and this is sad to say, and, and it, I was looking for something less significant, quite honestly, because we had gotten used to that. I was looking for something like, oh, here's the black character. He's, you know, he's a smaller character. He's blah, blah, blah. I wasn't expecting anything as powerful and strong and articulate and gifted. I, I, I was not expecting that. So much so that I was confused. And so I said, hey, I don't know which role it was because none of the characters were, oh, this is African-American, whatever. I said, but man, it was this great character, you know, Dr. Benton. Um, he was the best thing in it. And he goes, that's who it is. And I was like, get out of here, you know. So, you know, we played that game for a while. And uh, and then, you know, the rest is history. So, excuse me one second. <coughs> excuse me. Just getting over a cold. Um, so... You know, it's, 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 it's sad that the industry had at that point conditioned uh, me to, um, to the point where you're like, oh, you know, not to expect that much, you know what I mean? Uh, so that even when it came, I missed it uh, because I didn't, at that time, I didn't dare dream that this was going to be an African-American character. Uh, and so, you know, he was like, no, that's the role. And I was like, what? And I was like, this is the best role in the, in the whole thing. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and, and at the very least, um, it was equal. It was equal to, to the other three white males in it, um, which I bet they weren't even classified. I don't think as, uh, as white, you know what I mean? So, so it was just cool. It was cool. It was, it was a pleasant, pleasant surprise and uh and so when you talk about what what drew me to it it was well written flawed he was very flawed uh but his heart was um in the right place he wanted to save people and so uh you know the year before i had seen uh i was a big fan of nypd blue and uh, Dennis, Dennis Franz, who played Sipowitz, who was a raging uh, uh, racist and uh, just just a you know bad guy, but from an acting point of view, I just I, I just thought he was so courageous because he never apologized for his character. He never like a lot of times actors they kind of poke out because they always they always want to be looked uh, looked upon as you know the good guy and. And so they don't. Sometimes they don't want to play these these less than you know likable characters. And he never ever flinched from that. He just he played that character so well. And I and I would be angry with him, you know, for you, you know, for just re- referring to us as the N word, whatever, you know what I mean. And 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 I said then I said if I ever get the chance to play a character. Uh, that is that interesting and complex, I won't apologize. I want to play a character that I don't apologize. You don't always like him. You don't always, you know, but, and so sure enough, a year later, Benton came along. And uh, and I, I, I think I, I actually ran into Dennis Franz uh, at, a, at an event that year after ER. And I walked up to him and I said, thank you, because you gave me courage 
Um, me watching you have that courage to do this character and not apologize made me want to do a character that was not so perfect and not apologize. So, um, so that was you talk about the things that attracted me. It was it was it was all of those things. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. Benton was my favorite character on the show. So, um, and I watched NYPD Blue as well, and so it was just. Oh, gosh, ER just had such great writing year after year, so um, yeah. incredible. So you, you talked a little bit about, you know, your work as an author and your work as a director and how they both really influence your work as an actor. So do you prefer one creative space or platform over the other? And what would you like to do next that you haven't done before? Um, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I prefer one over the other. Um, I feel I'm a better director than I am an actor. Um, so I think we, we kind of gravitate towards what we feel we do best a little bit more. But I, look, I'm at the same time, I got to go back and I got to be like, wow, what a blessing. You know, what a blessing to be able to choose. Um, you know, I've been acting for professionally for 30 years and I'm still here. I'm, you know, I'm. Uh, and so I, the, the good thing is this, I'm blessed enough that I don't have to choose. I don't have to say, Oh man, yeah, I like this one better. I like, I, I like them. I like them. I love them. I love them both. Uh, uh, you know, obviously certain days and certain projects. I, I do feel this. I do. The, the, the only distinction between the two is every directing job that I get is, a huge challenge and I grow and it is, it's, 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 it's this interesting fight. Uh, it's, it's an amazing fight that I learned from. Um, I don't always feel that the roles that are available to me um, are always as challenging. And always as so from that point of view, there's a there's a slight difference, and I and it it feels it also feels that directing in some weird way uh, is more colorblind um, because it's just the bottom line is can you do a good job with the show and you know like I said once you know you've established the type of reputation that I've established as a director of being a performance and an actor's director, uh, people just want you on these shows. They, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I, it's, 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 yeah, so it's really cool to be, to be that brother on, on set, um, calling all the shots. I, I, you know, that's, there's, there's, there are those, you know, there, there, are, there are those things that if we're really being honest, um, these are the, 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 the things that make it different. And, um, and so, I love acting. Um, I, I, I I like this role in Logan uh, a lot, uh, but the, the but the roles that I get excited about are far and few in between, and particularly for not just me, but for African American men. Um, like there might be a white actor who doesn't have a whole lot under his belt. Um, who hasn't been in the business as long, or you know hasn't, but you know, he's probably going to be the first or second lead, you know what I mean? Or second or third lead. And, and, and that's, 
very rare, let's just say, extremely rare for uh, an African-American. It does happen. Um, I just worked with a young actor who was the uh, second lead. They just discovered him on training day. Um, you know, very little experience, and he ends up being the second lead on the show. So, it, it, yes, it does happen. I'm just saying it's more rare. So it's harder for me to get super, super excited about all the acting roles, whereas as a director, I am super, super excited about, you know, pretty much 99% of, I mean, there's, there's maybe only been one gig that I was like, eh, you know, um, but for the most part, I'm super excited about it. Obviously, as an author, I create my excitement because I go, hey, I want to take on this subject, um, and I'm really excited about exploring that. So, uh, so you know, so that's sort of the hierarchy of, of my my passions of my my three or four passions wow what a compelling interview eric thank you so so much for just telling us everything from your history on er to your role in logan to your literary work and even answering that soul glow question We really appreciate it. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs and where can we find you on social media? Uh, I am, uh, I'm on Facebook. I have a fan page uh, on Facebook that uh, we're pretty active with. Um, and that's the, uh, um, the, the laws of depravity fan page. Uh, and, uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, at Eric LaSalle 23. Um, and, you know, I haven't made it to uh, some of the other <laughs> social media outlets, but, um, you know, but that's that's pretty much, and I, you know, I, I like to try to reach out and, and, and respond, um, you know, and I, 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 feel, I feel a little more comfortable with Twitter um, and Facebook. Uh, I'm not, you know, some of the other things, the Instagrams and, you know, all of those. Um, and you know this actually this is a this is a really interesting month for me uh because you know uh on the third logan opens um i've got um a lot of directing ironically happens in shows that i've directed uh you know months ago um you know now seem to be a lot of a few of them are airing in uh in march so i've got um there's a brand new show called chicago justice uh for yeah for dick wolf so they just they start that tonight uh i'm directing uh the fifth or sixth episode so that's that's airing um the end of towards the end of march um i've got uh I directed a brand new show for BET called The Quad. I directed the season finale of that uh, uh, with Amika Rose, and um, that's um, that's airing uh, as well um, in March, the end of March. Uh, I directed the season finale of um, Training Day, uh, and uh, that's airing, I believe, in March. Uh, and I, I directed another show called APB for Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just it just it's just coincidental. So um, <laughs> so I've got a lot of things happening um, in March. Maybe one of them or two of them spill over to April. But for the most part, this is you know it's a it's a 
it's a very busy, busy month and, uh, which I love, which I absolutely love. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm, you know, and like I said, you know, with, with Twitter and Facebook, obviously we, you know, we always put it out there so people can sort of follow what, you know, what's going on. And, um, and I just think it's important for, uh, a lot of people to understand that, you know, as much as you, as much as I love acting, uh, and as, as, as much as we as artists love things, we have to also strive for a certain level of empowerment. And so to see that transition, uh, to be that transition for people to see um, going from a successful acting career um, to a very successful in-demand director, um, and then coming back and then just saying, okay, now this month, let's just do both. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ego boost. It's definitely, you know, it's a, it's a good high. Um, but I look at it as, you know, blessings and I'm, I'm extremely appreciative. I love what I do and what I get to do. And, uh, and so, you know, and then ultimately, like I said, you know, the big, big thing that I'm working towards is, you know, creating, um, I, continually creating content, owning a show, owning a franchise, uh, and calling those type of shots. And uh, not a lot of us get to do it. Not a lot of us get to do it with, some of us get to do it, but I don't know that, and this is personal, um, I, don't, I don't always think the standards are as, as, as great as I would like to see. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of the standards that, um, I always, uh, aspire to and the standards that I, uh, you know, live my career by and the taste. I think I have pretty good taste. I think I've, I've done some, um, I've done some work that I'm very proud of and I've taken some stands, uh, that I'm very proud of. And one of them is, um, what, you know, your father referred to earlier um that was a that was a huge thing and and so you know it's just it's just cool it's really cool to have all of that and have that kind of consciousness because i th i think i think right now we're in a we're in a very dangerous place um and i think we'll be okay but i think we're in a dangerous place because i'm a little more old school um in the sense that when i came up um you had to have some type of talent. I'm not, and talent is subjective. It doesn't mean that everyone likes what you do. And, you know, I don't, I don't like everything I do, so I don't expect others to like, you know, some people, ah, I'm not a fan of his. That's, that's okay, you know. But there was some talent, whereas now I think people can become famous. People are so um, stressed to be famous off of reality shows and no real talent, no real distinguished talent. Well, even if you say, I don't, uh, I don't uh, like their talent, but I got to acknowledge they got talent. You know, now it's just kind of like, you know, you get people, you know, whatever, do a sex tape, uh, get a little famous, uh, <laughs> embarrass yourself. Uh, and that's the thing. There's, there's no embarrassment. There's nothing. So, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm so not the high moral, you know, uh, cop here. Uh, I, you know, people do what they do. But what I'm, what I'm disputing is the level of talent that we're seeing. So when people, when I say people might create content, but it's not the content that 
that moves us forward as a people, that moves us forward, that, that elevates us. Um, and that's one thing I really love about the directing and being an author is, you know, the book I'm writing right now, um, you know, I make sure that I've got some interesting females um, that's very important to me and that my women are as strong as my men um, in, in a very dark, gritty world. And so I, I love being able to do that. It's a big challenge. And then making sure that it feels accurate, that it, you know, and so um, those are things that I think help move us forward and and allow us to get better stories told. And so, I, you know, I don't always see that, um, but I am encouraged and I am energized by the possibilities and I love, and, and you know, I'm not one of those people that say, oh, I, I don't like his work, I don't like her work. Um, they're doing it. If people are doing it, fine. You know what I mean? Um, there's always this controversy around um, you know, like Tyler Perry, and I'm always, I've always said, look, hey, regardless of what you think of his work, whether you like it or not, I mean, he's doing it. If you don't like yeah. what he's doing, go do your version and do it better. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that's how I live my life. Um, instead of me sitting around, um, you know, publicly judging um, another brother or sister and what they do, um, I want to draw strength from it and say, hey, you know, I. You know, and even if you say, well, they're horrible, but look how much success they've achieved. Well, then go achieve that success by making it better, by making it good. And so that's what I try to do. You know, I, I, I attempt to do that every time out. But being an author and being a, a content creator, it gives you that um, power and those possibilities and that's what I'm most excited about. And that's, um, you know, the big goal um, for me in creating this franchise is to have, um, you know, four books that turn into, like I said, series, movie, whatever. That, But it is created by me. It is governed by me. It is produced, directed. It is, you know, it is owned. It is. Uh, and then you start, then it starts really getting interesting. So. That's 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 what the future. And then, hey, you know, you get these pleasant surprises where something like Logan pops up. That wasn't on my radar. That wasn't something that I planned. And so, as long as you're in motion, and I think you know, you, you know, to your listeners and people, always, you know, how do I, how do I do it? How do I get into it? Motion. It is motion, and it's and it's and it's knowledge. And it's like as long as you're moving forward, and I mean really moving forward. And moving forward is learning and growing, as long as you're moving forward, then you're on the right path because that's going to lead you somewhere. It's up to you to be intelligent about which direction you're going. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, that's important. And that's something that I've seen and witnessed and for myself. And that's what Logan, Logan was a surprise. I'm just moving forward. And, you know, these pleasant surprises, just like, you know, um, obstacles, you know, come along. So it's really, you know, continuing to be disciplined and focused, inspired, and just moving forward, you know, just moving forward. So 
that's that's my story and what a fantastic story that is and thank you so much for coming on our show and, and thank you for sharing your work with us absolutely thank you guys i'm, I'm sorry about getting over this cold my cough but uh <laughs> I, I, I definitely wanted to, to to do this interview i was looking forward to it and uh and it was great it was a great interview Alicia Malone is a film reporter, TV host, writer, and all-around movie geek. You may have seen her as a guest, host, or correspondent on Fandango, CNN, Access Hollywood, AMC Theatres, Screen Junkies, IGN, Australia's Today Show, Studio 10, Movie Juice, Fox Hill Movie Show, Event Cinemas, or New Zealand's Breakfast on TV One, to name just a few. Alicia has traveled the world to cover film festivals and award shows, and has interviewed nearly every movie star you could name. So, finally getting to sit down with uh, Miss Alicia Malone, who I'm very glad that you carved out the time to speak to me as you have about 8 million jobs. I mean, let's see. (laughs) Filmstruck, where you are a correspondent and host. You also work with Screen Junkies on all of their movie coverage as a host and also um, you have a show on there and there's Screen Junkies News. You also managed to work in Fandango where you're also a host and correspondent, interviewed about every celebrity there is. Oh, and she's always on the red carpet at most award shows whenever that's possible. <laughs> and right now, if, as if that's not enough going on, you're also writing a book. Do you sleep? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Do you sleep? I don't. I don't sleep much. And um, that's why I'm talking to you from my car, because I feel like I live in my car in LA, just going from job to job. But I love what I do. So it doesn't feel like work, even though I have a million jobs. Yeah. And uh, for our folks at home, yeah, she is she is Australian. So <laughs> in, case <Bear> with me. <laughs> in case y'all didn't catch it. Um, but you... That you picked up like five years ago and decided this is what you wanted to do. So tell us how you how you got into this whole thing of having all of these eight million movie crazy jobs and why you chose to really concentrate on films and independent films especially. Well, I've always loved movies ever since I was really young and my dad was hugely into film so he would always educate me on directors like Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick. So I grew up with a lot of classic films and then my sisters were hugely into indie films so I'd watch movies all the time but I didn't really think of it as a possible job. I just knew I wanted to do something within TV or film, so I decided to try in TV first, um, just working behind the scenes. So after school, I didn't go to university. I just moved straight up to Sydney, which is kind of the the big smoke of, uh, of Australia. I was born in Canberra, which is the capital, but there's not much going on there. And, and it got to the point in Australia where I was working across all the major channels. I was doing reviews in magazines and on radio, and I realized it was about as far as I could go within Australia because there's such a small film industry there. So one day I decided just to quit everything, pack it all in, and move to L.A. because I would see some of the film correspondents that we would use in Australia over here in LA and I would see all the people they got to interview and I thought wouldn't that be great if I could do that. Moved over here and then luckily after a 
couple of months of hustling for jobs back in Australia, one of those correspondents decided to move back to Sydney and uh, essentially she gave her job to me. And from there, it's just meeting people and getting to know people and moving my way around to all the various places in America. I'd be really lucky that I've had so many jobs. But I think uh, by specialising in indie films, classic films and supporting women in film, I have sort of made myself stand out from the pack. So that's always my big piece of advice to anyone out there who wants to do my job. Um, Our job is just to carve yourself a niche and make yourself an expert in that niche. I mean, at BGN, we can appreciate that niche because, I mean, we're a site built on basically, you know, we didn't see an avenue for us in other places. So Jamie, thank God, created this space, which is my favorite place to be. And you're selling yourself short. I, I feel like you are because you're so knowledgeable about movies in general, but especially about indie films, um, because Every festival, so I go, I met you mostly on the festival circuit because this is not the first time we've spoken. Um, yeah. But, but you watch films. Like when you go to festivals, you are like, I'm still going to hit, you know, 15 <laughs> films in three days. And this yeah. is on top of your normal duties, which is not the way everybody does the film festival. Even the press folks, we don't all go about it like that so yeah so I know I'm a huge nerd basically when it comes to films and I get so excited at film festivals because suddenly there's all these movies and I get I get upset if I don't get to see as many as I can so I just fill my days with five movies six movies however many I could fit into a day even if it means not sleeping getting up early, skipping parties, um, you know, just sitting in a dark room all day. To me, that's heaven, you know, and I feel so lucky that I get to do it. No, it's heaven for me too, as I, I, I appreciate your hustle more than anybody else's when it comes to the film festival, indie film, just doing what you do in general, because you recently just did the Golden Globes red carpet, right? Um, you were doing a yeah. correspondent with that, sort of like the educator, as it were. So tell me a little yeah, bit about that. The film expert, I guess you would say. Um, so with Fandango, one of my jobs there is to go out on Fandango's behalf. A network needs someone to come in and talk about a particular aspect of film, then they'll send me out on behalf of Fandango. So NBC, who was the host broadcaster of Golden Globes, they, for their pre-show on the red carpet, wanted a film expert to come in and just give some predictions. And basically, I was just there for when they didn't have any celebrity guests to talk to on the red carpet. They needed to fill time because it was a three or four hour live show. So the cool thing was for me to get all dressed up, get all made up, um, go on the red carpet at the Golden Globes and just appear on television for a minute to give my, you know, nerdy predictions. And then I got to sit and watch all the stars come up for their interviews. And even though I've been doing this job for a long time, I still get so excited when I'm on the red carpet at an award show. I got to do that with CNN last year at the Oscars. And it it does just feel like a world away from where I grew up in Canberra, Australia, and something I never thought I would ever get to do. So I always pinch myself at doing that. It's so much fun. Yeah, that's the one I'm the most jelly of. I'm not going to lie when I'm like, (laughs) I know her. She's on the TV in a dress and she's interviewing people. And I 
freak out a little bit because I'm just like, this is amazing. So, um, but that's cool. And I, I know we joke about it, but I know it's from hard work. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people forget because maybe they see it as something close and similar. Like it takes a lot just to sit down to do an interview, let alone be prepared for 60 that are about to roll in all at once. So anyway. Yeah, it is is a lot of hard work. It looks much more glamorous than it is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is going to go out right before the Oscars that morning. Um, Basically, BGN, we're doing an entire Oscar show. We're going to talk about, you know, the things that we would cook during our Oscar party. And obviously, we're going to live tweet it. And, you know, you mentioned about women in film, because even before, you know, we talk about Oscar So White, from where April Rain sort of started that campaign, even before then, um, you did a TED talk um, talking about women in film and representation in general in film. So this is something that you've always sort of, I guess, well, we all noticed the disparity, but started talking about it early. So what mm. are you excited about for this year's Oscar as far as the change from before to now? Yeah, I'm excited to see a little bit of change in terms of diversity when it comes to the nonnies in the acting categories. And this is something that I am learning more about as I write my book, doing a whole section on Oscars and that very much being Oscars so white. And it's it's kind of depressing and and it represents the whole industry, I think, when you note down how long it has been between nominees for African-American women, how there's only been one African-American woman to win Best Lead Actress, and most of the nominations and wins come from Best Supporting Actress, and I think that speaks volumes about the uh, the type of roles that women of colour are offered. And then, you know, the numbers are worse when you look actresses at um, Asian-American actresses, Native American actresses, I mean, it's, it's quite startling. But compared to last year, this year is much better with the first time ever that there are people of colour represented in every single acting category. I mean, it shouldn't be much to ask when there's only there's four categories, but it, it has taken a while to get to this point. And I'm so glad to see movies like Moonlight and Hidden Figures and Dev Patel in Lion be represented uh, with the Oscar nominations. I think that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I'm as excited as, as anyone else is because, I mean, I think we saw most of these at TIFF last year. And I remember then yeah. in September being like, okay, if, you know, things hold, I feel like these films are going to make some waves later. And most of them did. Um, but I still think it's like, unfortunately, I think Hollywood has like a quick memory. And so yep. I don't want them to forget. I want them to still feel this this push and this pressure basically to reflect it, the audience. So I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not ready to let them them off the hook. And uh, I appreciate you mentioning Moonlight because I do know your favorite film is La La Land. <laughs> Which... Well, actually, my favorite film of last year is still Moonlight. That's oh, really? still my number one oh, movie, yeah. even though I have seen La La Land 12 times. 12? Um, 12. Yeah, it was very personal. I mean, in terms of it being a story about someone moving to LA to follow her dreams and the, all the nods to classic musicals. I mean, it feels like it was a movie made personally for me. But when it comes to filmmaking and seeing something I've never seen before on screen, that's why Moonlight is my number one favorite film because I just thought it was incredibly beautifully made. It's so subtle, so elegant, 
beautifully shot as well and showing a character that we haven't seen enough on screen. Yeah, I mean, you, I saw you, I think, maybe an hour or two after I saw Moonlight, and I was still like, yeah. oh, my God, it's amazing. <laughs> so amazing. It is, and I I mean, I wish it would get more recognition than it probably will at the Oscars um, this year, but I'm glad that it's definitely in the conversation because it's a film that we particularly need right now, you know? Yeah, no, and I, I agree. But I think you're right. It's the filmmaking, you know? Um, that's the thing, like, I, I wrote about it recently. I, I want Moonlight to win, but I don't want it to win because people are trying to, you know, make a statement. Vote for what you think is the better film. Yeah. I know that's a crazy concept in Hollywood sometimes because <laughs> it's I know. You know, such a popularity contest. But, I mean, yeah. I'm going to hope for that. Um, yeah, so- me too. And, and Barry Jenkins himself is is such a film nerd it's so great to talk to him because he really dives deep into foreign film and art house movies and he's done his own criterion collection closet movie with video which is where they get to go into the criterion collection closet which i'm dying to go to and pick out their favorite films to take home and his when you watch it on youtube you can just see how deep his knowledge and love of film is and um it's reflected in moonlight and so i love that yeah, I um, I I one of the things I read in his story, which I loved, is that he, he actually left film school in the middle of it because he needed to learn more. Um, yeah. like he needed to go learn about lighting, and so he basically went and gave himself a course on all these Japanese and you know um, foreign films. And when you look at that, and you look at the cinematography in Moonlight, it almost like is baffling to think this guy had to teach himself late in light, uh, late in his career about lighting. It's so yes. crazy when you when you look at the film. I know, and so inspiring too when it came to, I saw the film at um, Telluride mm-hmm. and that's a film festival that Barry had been volunteering at for years, you know, ripping tickets, doing Q&As on the stage and submitting his films time and time again to Telluride and getting rejected. And finally, he has his movie at Telluride. It premieres there. It's such a perfect coming home story for him, full circle moment. And now with it being nominated for Best Picture, uh, I mean, I think it's such a such a great achievement for him. And it's only the beginning for Barry. Wow. Yeah. No, gosh, that's so great. I'm, I'm like, oh, I just want to go hug him. I follow him on Twitter and yeah. he just seems like a guy that you want to hang out with. <laughs> I know. I saw him at the LA Film Critics Awards and I, I was so shy. I was just like, hi, Barry. And I waved and then I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because people think because you interview these people like your friends. I'm like, no, no, I am so awkward when I meet them. (laughs) People I admire, like actors that I I go, okay, they're famous, but I don't admire them in that way. Then I'm fine. But in terms of filmmakers like that, I'm like, I get really shy and nervous because I just think they're brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, because it's such a hard gig. Um, Speaking of which, though, so Oscars are tonight um, when this goes out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take you down like the top, you know, five categories, what should win, what Mm -hmm. you want to win, and maybe, you know, if if the world is a perfect place. So let's start with Best Supporting Actor. Who do you think should win? Well, my should win and will win are exactly the same for this category, and that's Mahershala Ali for Moonlight. I think he's an actor who 
has had such an incredible career and also an amazing year with both Hidden Figures and with Moonlight. And Moonlight, I mean, he had a small role, but such a huge impact in that movie. Yeah. I'm so glad yeah. that he is going to win. I'm putting it out there <laughs> for Best Supporting Actor and that people will finally know his name. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, yeah, in more ways than one. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Best Supporting Actress should win. Should win and will win, I think, uh, the same again for me with Viola Davis in Fences. I mean, that's a movie that you know many people say, oh, it's just like watching a play on the screen, but it's like watching a play with incredible actors and how often do you get to actually do that for mm-hmm. a bargain ticket price of the movie ticket? Yes. And Viola, I mean, in that role, whoa, she put everything into it, her heart, soul there's that scene where she's yelling and just everything is pouring out of her yeah. sweat snot spit it's just amazing yeah um and she's someone who time and time again see like steals these little scenes that she, she might just have one scene like she did in doubt yes. and she just tears the screen apart and she did it once again in fences that moment uh where she has that really powerful yelling match with denzel washington i got chills yeah. so i think that she definitely deserves to win best supporting actress yeah that one is the one where i was just so emotional like just watching that that felt like in a, just coming from a, a girl that like my parents, you know, I'm a child of divorce and there was a little bit too much of that that hit close to home, but in the best way, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just so beautiful. Um, I would say I agree with you on both of yours should win for the supporting actors and actresses. The only one is I think it is a shame that Naomi Harris and Octavia Spencer are, are going up against Viola this year because it is her year. She will win. But I, I thought both of those performances were brilliant especially Naomi in Moonlight I just I loved that performance that she gave but there's only one winner right (laughs) there's only one winner but yeah Naomi was amazing uh three days she shot that in yeah straight on the back of James Bond movie and just to pull that out I mean and having to age her character and she's the only one practically in the in the film that's there I think for the all the three stories and yeah she's amazing awesome um, so best actor, um, who should win, who will win? Uh, should win. Yeah. This, so this is a category that is fraught with, uh, you know, personal <laughs> opinion because Casey Affleck, like we've talked about, has had, uh, sexual harassment, uh, issues in the past and that has really, colored my feelings about him winning the Oscar I think his performance is unbelievable because he portrays a man with grief uh in the way that you have to hold everything back it's a very insular performance subtle performance many of everything that's happened and everything that's come to light about him in the past I don't think he should win so yeah. I'm going to say will win and should win is going to go to Denzel Washington for Fences. I think after the Screen Actors Guild Award, there has been a flood uh, towards him. And he, I mean, he's already the African-American actor with the most amount of Oscars and he'll continue that record. Yeah, Someone yeah. that can be both charismatic and terrifying in the yeah. blink of an eye. He is a force to be reckoned with and the fact that he – did this movie in this complex role and directed it as well. I think it deserves all the accolades. 
I, I completely agree with both of those ones. Again, I, I saw Manchester and I thought it was a beautiful scene. But the one thing I would say is I just think Casey Affleck's lucky, lucky to have Michelle Williams as a scene partner because mm. his best scene is just so much more amplified by everything she gave in her best scene. And then so everything he does after that, I feel is a push off of, of, of what she does in that scene when they have that, that conversation. So... I, I, that's yeah. another one that I feel um, doesn't get talked about. Again, it's only one scene, so I don't think you know she should win off of just that, but it is a very powerful scene. This lead actress, I left this one off to the end because Amy Adams is not in the category, and in a perfect world, yeah. she should be. Um, but of the remaining five, who do you think should win? Who do you think will win? I agree that Amy Adams should be in this mix. Um, I would, I know it's blasphemy, but I would take off Meryl in yeah. this list and I put a, I know, blasphemy, but I just think Amy did something incredible and, and very subtle. I think should win, this might surprise you, but I'm going to go with Isabel Huppert for Elle mm-hmm. because that was such a complex role. Uh, we both saw this together yes. at, what, 8 a.m.? Yes. Fantastic Fantasy Boston. <laughs> And it's so powerful, a psychological drama where her character doesn't act the way you think she might, you know, given what happened. It's a brutal, um, but she plays this perfectly and it needed someone of her caliber to be able to pull this character off and make her believable. And um, you feel for her at the same time you don't understand her and she makes you angry. So for all of those reasons, I think Isabel Huppert should win. And will win is Emma Stone for La La Land. And I do love Emma and I think she was the perfect Mia for La La Land. Um, And, you know, she does sing and she dances and she's the emotional centre of the movie. There are a couple of scenes in La La Land that get me and I rarely cry in movies Mm -hmm. because they feel so real when she says, uh, I just my me, I'm just not good enough for this. Yeah. You know that makes me oh, that makes me cry. Uh, but if in my perfect world, it would be Isabel Huppert, and you never know, she might she might sneak in there. She what do you might. think? I, I mean, so it's funny you mentioned that because yeah, we saw it together, and that was my exact same thought. Um, yeah, I, I just really thought that at that role, I don't know how you would even start it. Really, like, how do you start to make that role happen? But um, yes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I loved it. I, I, I loved it. I, I wrote it down in my review. I actually saw it again just so I could like remind myself when I was writing the review. And yeah, she gives a once in a lifetime performance. Um, and <laughs> it, let's be honest, like the, the revenge rape movie is not a subject you can make work with everything. So <laughs> no. Um, no, it's a very hard one to pull off. Yeah. So best picture, um, we'll go ahead and finish it out with this. Um, I think I, I think we know where we both would stand, but let's let's see what you think. Because honestly, things are changing. Things are changing with Best Picture. It's evolving. Yeah, things are changing. I mean, I think if you look at all the awards that have been previously won, then it's definitely pointing to the fact that La La Land will win. So I'm predicting La La Land will win. But you never know. The one that I think should win, which is Moonlight could sneak in there you just don't know which way it's going to go on oscar night and moonlight for all the reasons we talked about before just it being like nothing else i've ever seen an experience on film and a powerful movie i think that's why moonlight should win but i think la la land will win because it is that love letter to hollywood yeah i mean i wrote about it today i I've, again i think the movie should get a lot of um oscar 
Oscars on Oscar night. I think it should win in a lot of the categories. There's just a few categories that I'm a little bit like, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure about costumes. I or, mean, they're or, great, but, you or, know. Or screenplay. I just feel like Lonigan. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be Lonigan. Like, if they win that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time with that one. Um, I know. Anyway. Anyway, so where can, well, first of all, um, is besides your book, is there anything you want to plug or, or keep folks on, on the eye out for? Yeah, my book is really my main focus. That's all I've been doing at the moment. Uh, the title of the book is Backwards and in Heels, and that is a quote about Ginger Rogers, which says that she did everything that Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels. And I love that as a metaphor for women in film, that despite all the obstacles, there have been women who have done incredible things and, and made uh, such fantastic careers and being trailblazers. So look out for that. That's going to be in stores from August if I get my act together and get it finished. <laughs> um, and you can always follow me on Twitter at Alicia Malone. And that's kind of where I post everything. Fabulous. And your YouTube channel. Don't forget that. Cause I live for yeah. your festival updates. Cause they're that's fabulous. Right. And if movies you want, yes. is my channel. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, if you just do YouTube Alicia Malone, it should pop up. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Um, I will see you, I'm sure, on the red carpet somewhere. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I'm sure I'll see you at South by Southwest very soon. Yes, I just I need to get a nap in first. <laughs> <laughs> Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, MR Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.